Well, hey, Mosaic. Well, hey, I'm, I'm excited about this series. And just so you know, give a little credit where credit is due. Uh, the videos that maybe you've seen online, the bumper video, the promotional video, those are all made by a church called LifeChurch.tv, um, which is an amazing church, very big church. Uh, and so they can create stuff like that, that churches like us who have two staff can't. Um, so we get to take their great idea and run with it, which is really, really cool. And, and I'm excited because, you know, about this time of year, we usually do a marriage conference called Relove. And this year, we felt like, okay, it's year three. If we're going to do a relove again, we really need to, like, rework it and make it very fresh. And we did not have the bandwidth to do that this year. Uh, and neither, neither did Finding Life Church, who does it with us. So we thought, you know what, what a better time to talk about marriage. And I love talking about marriage, uh, partially because we were so young and clueless when we got into it and had to learn a lot of hard things, uh, things the hard way. <laughs> And so I love getting to talk, especially in a church as young as ours, hopefully to help some of us not make the same mistakes uh, that we've made. And, and so like when Megan and I got, got uh, fall, fallen for one another, I was 20, she was 19, we were very, very young and very, very clueless. And we met the good old-fashioned way, uh, skipping class our freshman year of college to play sand volleyball. Um, I thought she was a flirt, she thought I was cocky, and so naturally we had our first date the next day and she met my parents then. And, uh, and then two weeks later, uh, we decided to get married. And two weeks after that, I put a ring on that because I wanted her off the market as quickly as possible. Uh, and just for the record, I don't recommend that. <laughs> uh, I feel like we dodged a pretty big bullet, and God has shown us a lot of grace. But we've also learned things um, the hard way because we were, we were very young um, and very, very clueless. And maybe people told me this along the way. And if they did, I wasn't listening. But I don't remember anybody ever telling me that, that, you know, just so you know, Aaron, when you get married, your issues don't go away. You know, like your baggage and your hang-ups and, and those things, you know, that are part of your private world, just so you know, you bring those into marriage. They don't just go away on the other side of I do. And in fact, your issues get harder oftentimes, and they get worse. Because when you're single, you, get, you can hide those things, you know, and you can pretend like they're not there. You know, so you can hide being lonely, right, and, and being afraid, and making bad financial decisions, and, and your addictions, and, and your bad attitude, and your unwillingness to forgive, and your narcissism, and all those things, like, you can hide them from the rest of the world, but then you get married, and now it no, not only just affects you, uh, it affects that, that other person. And, and all of a sudden, those issues are put under the pressure cooker that is marriage, and oftentimes those issues not only don't go away, but they actually get worse. But my problem was, I believed a lie that that culture is speaking explicitly and implicitly all the time. It's so common that we are swimming in it, and we believe it oftentimes without even realizing it. And it's this idea that, you know, what you really need to do, to do is you just need to find the one. You just got to find your soulmate, right? That, that Mr. Right, that Mrs. Right, and when you do, things are going to be really, really good. And, and I bought into this. And, and so this morning, to kind of like illustrate this idea and show you a little bit how this fleshes out. I want to show you a video clip from uh, what I think is actually a pretty good movie uh, called Jerry Maguire. And it is the scene that you're thinking, just so you know. And, and I want to show this because it just perfectly illustrates this idea. All right? So we'll watch that now. Go ahead and roll that. Hello? Hello? I'm looking for my wife.
Wait. This is where it has to happen, and this is where it has to happen. I'm not letting you get rid of me. How about that? This used to be my specialty. You know, I was good in the living room. They send me in there, and I do it alone. And now I just... Tonight, our little project, our company, had a very big night. A very, very big night. But it wasn't complete. It wasn't nearly close to being in the same vicinity as complete. Because I couldn't share it with you. I couldn't hear your voice. I wouldn't laugh about it with you. I miss my, I miss my wife. We live in a cynical world. A cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You complete me. And I just had... Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. Oh, it's so good. You know, when that came out, it went everywhere. I don't know if you remember this. It might have been, what, 15 years ago. It was so popular and so big that, that you could, they didn't just keep it on film. If you remember, it actually started playing the audio clips on the radio stations. You remember this? And intertwined it like with music, you know, so you could hear, you complete me over and over and over again. Shut up, you had me at hello. You know, and, and, and I share this because this is a, a very common, very popular idea. They just, he just says it as explicitly as I've ever heard. It is this is what you're looking for. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the person who will finally complete you. You know, I, I read a great piece by Donald Miller uh, this week that's in his new book, and he talked about this actual scene, and he said, you know, I used to think that that's what love is. And then I was a part of a group, and we talked this thing out, and I realized there's a better word for that. That's not love. That's codependency, <laughs> right? Which I thought was pretty, pretty right on the spot, because you know what? In the scene, which you don't get to see, is in the rest of the film, you don't get to see who Jerry Maguire is in that scene. Jerry Maguire, if you remember, is really screwed up. And he's lost. 
for most of, of the movie. He doesn't know who he is. He's lost his career. He's a failure. He doesn't feel valuable. And then this single mom gives him a little bit of affection, and he latches onto her. And in fact, this is the first scene in the movie where he actually realizes that he actually cares about her at all. You know, and, and so it just, I, I share that just because you know, he looks to her to fix what's going on in here. And of course, what we know is there's no possible way that she can do that. Because no person can do that. No relationship can, can do that for you. But the problem is, magazines and films and TV and novels, this is the idea. I, I think one of our favorite idols is romance. And we're told if you can find that one, you will have everything. But until you do, you're incomplete. Which couldn't be further from the truth. And so the, 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 the truth that I kind of want to put on the table this morning is this. And this is especially important for those of you who have not quite entered into marriage yet. And, and you just got to know that all right, if, if you're not okay before marriage, you're not going to be okay after marriage. Just so you know. If you're not okay with you, if you're not happy, if you're not complete, you're not going to find that in a husband or a wife or a marriage. But we're tempted to go there, even after the fact to think that that's the thing. And when it's missing, we start pointing fingers and we're blaming the wrong stuff. All right, this temptation is not a new thing. It's actually been around for as long as we have record. And in fact, when you crack open the scriptures, we're introduced to a character right in the first book in Genesis, Genesis 29, who fell to this very same temptation, the same way of thinking, and his name is Jacob. Jacob brought a ton of baggage into marriage. Now, we all bring baggage into marriage, but his baggage was unidentified, it was undealt with, and he went into marriage hurt and wounded. You see, Jacob had this, this fractured relationship with his dad. Jacob had an older brother named Esau, and he was the athlete of the family. He was like his old man, right? He was a hunter. He was a gatherer. He was Johnny Football, and his dad loved him for it. But Jacob, Jacob was more like the creative one, right? He's smart. He's sharp. He's creative, but he's not the athlete like his dad wished he was. And his dad did not try to hide the fact that he wished he was like his older brother, Right? He, he didn't get the same kind of love and affection from his dad as his older brother did. He never heard, I'm proud of you, I love you, you have what it takes. And so he's hurting. Right? He, he's a hurting unit, and he's got this past that is, is full of, of mistakes. Right? He, he's got this history of running away from his problems. He actually becomes estranged from his family. That's never dealt with. He's not walking into obedience with God. So spiritually, he's not where he needs to be. He is, he is perfectly positioned to make a really big mistake. And then he meets a girl. And he falls hard, and he falls fast. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis 29, verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. All right, so he's got two daughters, and the author is doing what we often find in Hebrew literature, is he's juxtaposing two different things, right? So when you read, like, Proverbs, it'll say things like, a wise man is like this, but a foolish man is like this, right? And so the author's doing the exact same thing. He's saying, look, there's the younger daughter, and she is, has a lovely figure, read, great body, right? Aaron translation, and was beautiful. But her older sister was not that way. Right? In fact, most Hebrew scholars will tell you when it says that Leah had weak eyes, it's just a really nice way of saying, unlike her sister, she's not physically attractive. 
Right? And so if you, if you had to guess, which one do you think she fall, or he falls for? Rachel. You'd be guessing right. So very next verse, it says, Jacob was in love with Rachel. So Jacob moves in for, with the family for a month to stay there. Starts working for the family for a month and decides that he is ready to get into a relationship with Rachel for good in marriage. And this is Jacob we're talking about. Wounded Jacob. Unhealthy relationally Jacob. Estranged from his family Jacob. Running from his problems Jacob. Not healthy spiritually, not walking in obedience with God. Jacob. And then he finds Rachel. And I think what he's thinking is what a lot of us think. If I can just have her. Right? If, if we can just be together, I'll be okay. Things will be good. I will be happy. And I'll tell you, I, I'm not very old, but I have known a lot of Jacobs in my relatively short life, and I will tell you, it never ends well. When this is the idea, it never, never ends well. And we get a, we get a glimpse into Jacob's frame of mind by what he does next. Because you've got to know, like, culturally, in this culture, if you wanted to marry a woman, you had to go to her dad and not only ask for permission, but there was, like, an endowment. So you had to negotiate a price in which you would gift her father, he would give his blessing, and then you could be married. Right? And so here's what we read in verse 14. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, I don't know if that's sarcastic, but it, sh- it seems like it should be. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, <laughs> Laban said to him, Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? And in verse 18, he says, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, here's the problem with that. Right, culturally, this is about four times what was normal. Four times of what you would typically negotiate for her hand. Right, and if you might be tempted, ladies, to be like, oh, that's so romantic. It's not, it's stupid is what it is. It's foolish. All right, just, just, I mean, put yourself in her shoes. Just, just think, for example, hypothetically, that you were in love with a guy and there was this object between you both actually getting together that needed to go away. Maybe it was debt. Maybe, it, I don't know, whatever it might be. Right, and this guy has the ability to step in and knock it out in two years or less. But it, he hastily, because he sees you and has stars in his eyes and he's not thinking straight, just overcommits himself, and now you've got to wait seven years. All right, that, that's what just happened. Right, and so it gives you this picture of this guy who is just thinking, like, I, I have to have this girl, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to pay more than what is appropriate. I'm willing to give up more than I should to have her be mine. Right, and just so you know, th- this is inevitable when we start to buy into this lie that a relationship or marriage is the answer. Right? If you're taking notes, number one, right, when you think marriage is the answer, you compromise more than you should. It's, it's inevitable. You compromise your standards, maybe your integrity, you start compromising your values, your beliefs, things that are important to you, things that you know are right because you think this thing I've got to have it no matter what the cost. Right, as a pastor, man, I sit in a room with a lot of young girls or older girls and they will share what they gave up chasing this guy thinking if I don't give him this it's not going to last. 
And who knows, we're probably going to be together forever, so I'll compromise. And it's usually through tears. Right? And marriage, right, this continues to happen even after the fact. Right? You know what the right thing to do is. Right? You know what you should be doing, what you should say, how you should be trying to steer your family, but you don't want to make waves, and, and the, the waters are relatively calm right now, so I'm just not going to say anything and just leave it as it is. Right? Or, or for some of us, staying in an abusive relationship can take this form, right, for a number of different factors. Sometimes maybe, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. I don't deserve better than this. I don't know if there's anybody else out there, so I'm going to stay because this thing is so important to me. Maybe in time he'll come to love me, right, and treat me as, as I wish he would, right? right? For others of us, maybe it's, it's buying things we can't afford to impress him, to impress her, to give them a lifestyle or just woo them. We go into debt in the process, Right, for some of us, it's actually after the fact, maybe. So maybe you were in a relationship, maybe a marriage, and it didn't work. And it didn't last. And now you're bitter and angry, and you let that control so much of how you feel and how you're doing. Because you thought that was going to be it. And it never is. Right, Jacob says, look, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to make this work. Because this is the most important thing. I'll work seven years, even though it maybe only had to be two or even less than that. Because I have to have this at all costs. And what ends up happening when we think this, guys, is, is we, the marriage or the idea of marriage or that relationship with that significant other, all of a sudden, that's what we hold with a closed fist. And when that's held with a closed fist, inevitably what ends up happening, what we hold with an open palm, an open hand, what becomes optional and negotiable are our values and our standards and our beliefs and what we know to be right. Because this other thing is so important to us. Right, when you think marriage is the answer, inevitably you end up compromising more than you should. Number two, if you're taking notes, when you think marriage is the answer, you end up focusing on your rights rather than your responsibilities. Right, it all becomes about what I am owed as the significant other, as the husband, as the wife, what I deserve. Right? You're, you're failing me. This is not what I signed up for. I deserve better than this. You promised me this isn't working. Right? In verse 21, Jacob starts getting really demanding. And he says this. He says uh, this to his father-in-law, to be Laban. He says, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. And some of you wives are like, that sounds just like my husband. Yeah, just. <laughs> and I feel your pain. Right? Megan is relentless. It's like, I am more than a piece of meat. Can't we just cuddle and do what I want to do? Just take a bubble bath and drink some whites in and watch 10 Things I Hate About You? I mean, I kid, but, but what is happening in this moment is he's being very dishonoring to his father-in-law. Right? If you look at the language and the context, he's, he's not being honoring at all. He's being very demanding. And he's not being very honoring to his wife either. Right? And this just is what ends up happening when you think that marriage is going to be the thing that finally completes you, that finally makes you happy. Right? When you believe marriage is the answer, you end up focusing on your rights rather than your responsibilities. And marriage ends up becoming more of a contract and less of a covenant. Right? It becomes transactional. Right? You do, I, I've done my part, you do your part. Or you know what? You're not doing your part, so why should I do my part? Right, and I'll tell you, marriage counseling is 
90% of this, of a husband saying, like, well, you know, she does that, or, or the wife saying, well, he does this, or opposite, right? She doesn't do this, and he doesn't do that. It's 90% of counseling. And this is what's going on, right? As we start focusing on what my rights, what I deserve, what I am owed as a husband, as a wife, and you're not giving it to me, right? So why should I serve you? Why should I love you? Why should I extend grace to you when you're not doing that for me? Start focusing on our rights rather than our responsibility. And number three, when, when you think marriage is the answer, it's so important for you guys to get, especially you singles. When you think marriage is the answer, you will always end up dissatisfied. Always. Always. Right, some people, they go into, into marriage with such unrealistic expectations that that person that you unite yourself to can't possibly live up to those expectations. I feel like marriage counseling, for me at this point, it's like most of my job is just obliterating expectations. You know what I mean? Because they just get failed, inevitably, and the bar can be so high, right? And so, like, single guys, like, let's just get real for a moment, right? Some of you have very, 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 very unrealistic expectations of what your relationship with your wife is going to be like when you get married. And I hate to burst your bubble, but it's better now than never, but especially in this area of sex. Right? I run into this all the time. I, I did middle school ministry, then high school ministry, then college ministry. I do mentoring, premarital counseling. Now I pastor a very young church with a lot of young guys. And just so you know, I know you thought it was going to be a 24-7 porno where you're the star, <laughs> but that's not what it's going to be, Right? It's not going to be twice a day and three times on Sunday because it's the Lord's Day, right? That's not <laughs> the way that it goes down, just so you know, right? And, and, and I'm making you laugh, but I am being very, very serious because you bring all of that into marriage, all the expectations, and just so you know, all of that junk and the baggage that has not been dealt with, right? And if you're, just so you know, I mean, if you're, this is across all areas, but like, let's, we're just talking sex for a moment here. If you're dysfunctionally there, if you're dysfunctional, if you're not honoring God with your mind and with your eyes and with your body, just so you know, you're going to bring that into marriage and your spouse and your relationship will pay the price. This is one of those areas where I run into a lot of guys who, who struggle or have struggled on and off with this thing and they, they actually believe that on the other side of marriage that it's going to get better and it's just going to fix itself. And you just got to know that's not the way that it works. I've had many friends who that was kind of a nominal issue for them. And then they got married and, and the addiction started after marriage. Right? It does not fix, it will not fix that thing in you. And so it is so important that you, you talk about this and work through this and invite God into whatever your stuff is on the front end, because it won't go away. It won't go away. Right? Gals, I, I know I'm, I'm really generalizing here, but this is just patterns. Girls, if you can't handle being single, don't rush into a relationship. And don't go run off and just get married. Because getting married is not going to fix that for you. Whatever that is, whatever's motivating your inability to be alone, just so you know, when you get married, you're not just no longer lonely if that's your issue. You might be married to him, but you can be, you can be laying in the same bed every single night and feel completely alone, and I'm telling you, that is worse than being single and feeling the same way. There's something there that has to be dealt with. If you've got to latch onto a guy 
even if it's in short spurts, just to feel like valuable and lovable. Just so you know, you will bring that into marriage. That will not go away. No matter how amazing that husband may be, he cannot fix that in you. And if you expect him to, you will be setting him up for inevitable failure. And the same goes for guys. If you think she's going to fix that in you, she can't. She can't. Right? Jacob is starstruck. And he thinks that this this gal who's so beautiful and wonderful and he's spent with her is going to fix that thing in her or in him, but it doesn't. Right? And so Jacob puts in his time. He overcommits, but he puts in his time. Seven years work. And then we come to the wedding celebration, right? And back then, they knew how to party when it came to weddings. It was typically a week-long celebration. Pretty much the entire village was there. They are eating, drinking, being merry, right? The chances are that he has also been celebrating maybe a little too much, all right? He's been working for seven years, mind you, for this girl. Finally, the time has come. Everybody's in on it. And based on what's happening, I'm going to go out on a limb and say chances are very good that he is maybe celebrating a little too hard. Right? Maybe not thinking very clearly, uh, maybe not seeing very clearly, because here's, here's what happens. He, he's a little out of it, and Laban uses this opportunity to fix the little problem that he has. And that problem is, in this culture, you did not marry off the younger daughter first. You always married the older daughter off first. Right? And so while Jacob is apparently MIA, what, what Laban does is he dresses up his older daughter Leah in the wedding garb, probably has to have put over a veil over her face and sends her in to consummate the marriage and pretend that she's Rachel. And it's sick, but she does it. She does it. And this is what we read in verse 23. But when evening came, Laban took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And in verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah, exclamation mark. Right? (laughs) Ah! Some of you have maybe experienced that at some point. It's like, he was so much more attractive after five margaritas. I don't know what happened. Um, I hope that did not happen to you, but the struggle is real. Um, So when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? All right, why have you deceived me? Right, and and like so much of the Old Testament, like there's layers to the story, and it's layered with irony. Because prior to us meeting Jacob, he's the one doing the deceiving, right? Unhealthy Jacob. He's deceiving to his own means for his own gain. And now he's on the receiving end. And as we might imagine, he is not very happy. He is angry. He's disappointed. He's let down. And guys, while the details will hopefully be different, if you go into a relationship or a marriage thinking that they are going to be the thing, that finally makes you okay with you, you will find out sooner or later that you have been duped and you've bought into a lie. Right, to quote Craig Rochelle, I love what he says. He says, you know, if you, if you think marriage is going to be the answer, you're going to think that you've gone to bed with Rachel, but you're always going to wake up with Leah. And just like Jacob, just so you know, you will not be happy. You will be angry. You will be hurt, perhaps confused. You'll be let down. And it might start with the most perfect wedding, the most picturesque honeymoon, and things might be great for a while. Right? But you might go to bed with with stars in your eyes, but you will wake up sooner or later to reality, and it's not going to be pretty. 
It won't be what you hoped because no person can be that for you. Right? And, and we don't really know what's going on with Leah here. Right? It's, it's possible that maybe she was just submitting to her dad. Maybe she felt like she had no choice in the matter and just as a matter of respect, she went and did this thing, which you can about imagine the kind of daddy issues that created. Maybe that's what happened. Right? Or maybe she thought what some of us do. Right? That, that I'm not getting any younger. Right? That all my friends are in relationships. All my friends are getting married. Maybe even having kids. And this may be my only chance. I don't, I don't know if there's anybody else out there for me. And maybe, just maybe, she willingly deceives the guy and thinks, you know what, if I, if I take this from him or if I give him this, then maybe, just maybe, he'll come to love me and, and treat me right and I'll be okay. But regardless of the motivations, Leah hops into bed with him, they get married, and as you'd probably expect, it is not what either of them hoped. Uh, it is not pretty. And in verse 32, we read what I think is the saddest verse in this, this whole deal. This is what we find. Right, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Reuben, for she said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. And then she says this. She says, surely my husband will love me now. Surely my husband will love me now. Right, I have given him this thing. Surely he's going to love me like I need now. Right, maybe, maybe if I give him children, our marriage will work. Right, maybe if I make more money and I can provide her with these things and this lifestyle, then she'll love me like I wish she would. Right, maybe if I have this surgery and he's attracted to me, then maybe, just maybe, he'll love me like that now. Surely my spouse will love me now. Right, but the, the tragic part of this story is, is he didn't. He, and he wouldn't. Uh, he did not love her like she so wanted him to. Uh, their marriage struggled, and it was not what either of them hoped it would be. All right, so let's do Zach Morris' timeout, all right? And pause for a moment. Let me just pose a question to you. All right, what is missing from this story? And I'll give you a hint. I'm a pastor, and we're together as a church, and I'm asking you this question. What is, what is missing? You know, I, I mean, is there any mention of praying, either together or for one another, or asking God what maybe he wants in this whole deal? Nope. There's plenty of what I want, but we don't find that. Is there, is there any seeking God's desire or God's lead anywhere along the way? Nope. Right, is there any evidence of faith or, or spiritual connection? Right, no. No, there's not. Right, and so they went, and they were in search and pursuit of, of the one, but, but they were searching for the wrong one. Right, and, and if you've been a part of Mosaic for the last few years, I mean, this is the, honestly one of the first things that we ever dug into as a church. And, and if you've ever been to a, marriage, a, a wedding that I've done, You've probably heard me talk about this, and I talk about it so much because I am convinced that this is not a issue. This is the issue. Right? Regardless of the struggle in any relationship or marriage, the thing behind the thing behind the thing is always this, that, that I've got to find the one, and the one is that, that person, that Mr. Right and that Mrs. Right. And I'm telling you, if you do that, you are setting them up for failure. They cannot fix you. They cannot make you complete. They cannot make you happy if you do that. You will be setting them up to fail because the thing is, they might be the most amazing husband, amazing wife to ever walk the face of the earth, but they will fail at being God every single time. They cannot be that for you 
no matter how badly you want them to be. They can't. Your spouse was never meant to be your one. All right, that particular role is reserved for somebody else. You know, when Jesus was asked what the most important thing in this life is, this is, this is what he said. And he is quoting very ancient words here. He's reaffirming them as true. Matthew twenty two thirty eight. he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. All right, these are ancient words. And Jesus did a lot of flipping truth on its head and saying things like, well, you've heard it said, but now I tell you. But when it came to this, the main thing, he said, this has not changed and it is not changing. Right? This, all other love flows out of this love. Right? And when this is right and God is your number one and your spouse is your number two, Right? When this is right, everything else that needs to be right will be. But I'm telling you, when this is not right, nothing else can, can substitute for it. No amount of love or romance or chemistry or sex or any other thing can make up for God not being where he's meant to be in every relationship and every marriage. Right? You're trying to suck out of them what they cannot give you. It, is me- it, it, will, it will fail. Right? And I say this because, man, you can be a Christian and have God not be your, your number one. Right? You can come to church and, and I can bleed up here and, and do my best to plead with you. But, man, you, you can go through the motions and sit here every week for the rest of your life and not actively have God be number one. Right? It, it, is, it is active. It is daily to say, you know what? In our home, in my life, in our marriage, God is going to be number one. Right? It, it, when, when, when we're making decisions about our finances our lifestyle, right? What, how we spend, what we drive, where we live, what we give, right? the way that we relate with one another, the way we extend forgiveness, the words that we speak to one another, the way we prioritize our time, the, the things that we deem important, the things we chase, the plans that we make, the things that we say yes to and no to. We are going to make God number one and not ask, what does my spouse think or what do I think, but what does God think about this? which is easier said than done. But I'm telling you, if you want to have a marriage that is rich and full of love and grace and life, one that God can actually pour out his blessing on, then God has got to be number one. He just has to be. And it's amazing how many people I sit with, and it's like they're making active decisions in rebellion to what God has to say and what desire of them, and then they're still praying for God to bless their marriage, which doesn't make sense. That's just not the way that it works. Sometimes I wish it was, but it's not. God has got to be your number one. Your spouse cannot. And and for those of you who are are single, I cannot express to you how important this is. I I think Christian dating should be where we just go find somebody who's doing that. Just go find somebody who's doing that. The moment that you start to think, ladies, that he has potential, potential means you're not happy with how he is right now. Right? (laughs) Don't ever hop in a relationship based on potential. Because what you're assuming there is that you can change him, and you can't. What you see is what you get. God can change him, but you just can't. And it's not fair of you to expect that of him or of her. Right? And if you go into a relationship on potential, if you hook up with a guy or a gal who's not living this way in hopes that one day they will, I'm telling you, you are gambling with your life and the odds are not good. 
Right? If I could give you singles any piece of advice, whether you're divorced, whether you've never been married, whatever, and run after Jesus. Follow him as humbly, graciously, freely, wholeheartedly as you can. And it's, at some point, you see somebody nearby who's doing the same thing. At that point, decide whether you want to go the rest of the way together. Right? Because I'm telling you, it is so much better. Just don't compromise. It is so much better to be single and in communion with God than to be married to somebody who doesn't want any of that. I promise you, it is worth the wait. Do not compromise. Now, I know I've been talking for a while, so I'm going to wrap this baby up. I'm not going to lie to you, the story gets a little bit weird. Um, got a love triangle that goes on. This is long before Hollywood. There's a lot of good stuff in this book and weird stuff. And what ends up happening is Jacob eventually marries Rachel as well. Uh, so he's married two of his cousins, so there's that, uh, Laban's his <laughs> uncle, um, and they're sisters. And, and we don't have a lot of time to get into all of that. I want to hone specifically on, on, on him and Leah, because they're who we're spending time together uh, with this morning and learning from. But what ends up happening is Jacob and Leah continue to, to have kids. And she continues to give him sons, which in this culture was a very big idea, right? You... You lived and died by your ability to produce crops and, and work the farm and these kinds of things. And she gives him son after son after son. And after everyone, she's still saying, surely my husband will love me now. Surely my husband will love me now. Surely my husband will love me now, and he doesn't. And then she has a fourth son. And this time, something is different. And th- this is what she says in verse 35. So she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. Right, the first three times I didn't. But this time I'm doing it different. This time I'm going to praise the Lord. Right, and uh, the, the amazing thing about this little boy is his, little na- his, his name would be Judah. And it would actually be through him that one day, centuries later, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, would be born through his lineage. And God would do it through his mother, Leah, who had experienced so much disappointment, right, who, whose marriage had struggled, right, who, whose husband had not loved her well, Leah, who was not particularly attractive, unlike her sister, it would be through Leah and her imperfect marriage, right, and it's just another Example, one of so many in the scriptures of the kind of God that we serve. That God is in the business of doing beautiful things through very broken people and broken situations. Right? It would be out of this relationship, this marriage that certainly did not start out right and was not in a good place, that God would bring his most extraordinary miracle yet to the world. Right? And so please just hear this, all right? right? If your marriage did not start out right, or maybe you know this morning, like, it is, it's not where it needs to be. There's some stuff going on that you know is not right. Right? If you will seek the one and make him the one, anything is possible. I'm telling you, anything is possible through a couple who says, you know what? Whatever has been the one is going away, and we're going to put God in his right place and begin, and this is a lifelong process, but we're going to begin it and start to say, God, what do you want? 
We want to make you our one. I'm telling you, anything is possible. God is really, really good at taking broken situations and making beautiful things. That's the business that he is in. Right? And if you don't know where to start, the best advice that I can give you is at some point today to take the hands of your spouse if you're married. Right? And just pray. And maybe, maybe praying together is not a part of your deal. And maybe you don't know how to do it, but just begin by praying, God, teach us how to make you our one. Teach us how to make you our one. And see what God does. All right, let me pray for you. Lord God, I know in a room this size, there are a lot of different stories represented. A lot of unique scars and wounds. Uh, Some of us who have given up things and, and trying to make a relationship work because it was the most important thing to us at the time. Some of us who are in relationships that maybe we shouldn't be. Some of us in relationships that didn't start out right or maybe in a rough place right now. And Lord God, I just pray for every person in this room. Lord God, I ask that you would help teach all of us what it means to make you our one. Lord God, that you would lead us, even just the baby steps forward, the next step that we need to take to remove our spouse, our relationship, or whatever that thing that we've been making the most important thing down and making you our one, Lord God. Lord God, in those relationships and those marriages right now where things are especially hard, I ask that you would do what only you can do and bring healing. That you would give us broken and contrite hearts that come to you not pretending to be God, not expecting our significant other to be God, but who come before you, God, and say, do what you will in us, in our marriage, in our relationship. And Lord God, I pray for the singles in the room. Lord, that this might mark uh, a turning point for some of us. That you would strip away those expectations that need to go away, thinking that one day, we're going to find somebody who can complete us. But admitting today, Lord, that you're the only one who can do that. And we need you to do that. So that what we bring into marriage is not just our brokenness and our baggage, but you and the work that you have begun in our lives. So Lord God, we come before you now as a community of faith as a community of sinning saints, imperfect people who serve a perfect and holy God. And we sing to you, Lord, this morning that all we need is you.